0: Two a swing a long Deep
1: left. Way back. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined on the phone today by uh, Baseball Hall of Famer Tracy Ringlesby. Tracy is the godfather of Baseball America. He's been doing this longer than uh, I've been alive, and it's uh, kind of an honor to call him a, a colleague now. Tracy, uh, you've covered the Rockies obviously for a very, very long time. You've been a part of Baseball America for a very, very long time. Naturally, you put together the Rockies' top 30 for us this year. But before we dive into the system, I want to talk to you about the big picture. Rockies have made the postseason now two years in a row for the first time in franchise history. I wrote the article last year. They had the most homegrown players of any postseason team last year, 14 of them. Uh, this has been a really, really impressive player development apparatus that, just to be you know frank, has led to uh, thus far the greatest run of sustained success in Rockies history. They did have a postseason appearances in 07-09, but this was the first time they've gone back-to-back, and you look again ahead, and they're, they're, it should be right back in the thick of it this coming season. Uh, when you just look at the Rockies organization as a whole, Major League team, the farm system, is this the healthiest it's ever been?
0: I think it is. I think it's healthier than, than a lot of organizations in reality because you have so many people who are all basically on the same the same page, the same work together. And, and uh, when you have a guy like a Billy Schmidt, and when you have a guy like Jeff Braddich, um, Zach Wilson, um, those guys, they really don't have egos. Uh, Billy Schmidt might be the most unquoted scouting director in the game, but he's old school. He doesn't talk to people. he says, If I talk to somebody, why should I help them? Because I wanna get the player. You know, I don't I don't wanna you know, I wanna get the Charlie Blackman because Danny Montgomery finds him when nobody else can. And you know, he says those those are the things that, that are gonna set us apart. And so I think the there's also a feeling among each other that when they go to the when they go to the minor leagues, Billy comes in, he looks at guys, he, he talks to kids and, and he knows the kids from early on and he can give them a little more you know, he can help keep the things moving forward, you know, and, and you know, another guy that probably the most perfect guy that of recent times that people can identify with where he just really trusted a scout was on the Levine kid out of out of Connecticut, right? No high school kid gets drafted out of Connecticut.
1: In New Hampshire. Um, even.
0: Or New Hampshire, I'm sorry. Even and, There and are the
1: rare kids who get drafted out of Connecticut, but New Hampshire is, in a, is especially rare, correct?
0: Yeah, and, and there's never been a high school draft position player make it from that state to the big leagues. And they, they still like Levine, and a lot of people kept saying, well, you don't really have a good vision of what he's capable of doing because of competition. And the kid went to the Pioneer League, and look at what he did. I mean, he, he walked more than he struck out. Just in that alone for a young player, I think, signifies, in addition to the power, in addition to what a good defensive player he is, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's trusting the people around you, not feeling like you have to be the final authority on everything, but, but trusting the decisions. And, and I think that goes into the farm system as they rotate players. I mean, they, they, you've got a kid like McMahon who was signed as a first baseman, very high draft pick up moved over to play some first base, and now he's, he's going to be in the battle this spring for the starting second base job with the Rockies. And that's because in the minor leagues they, they move guys around. They, if they're the athletic enough, they want to see where they can do at different positions because you don't know what job's going to open up. I mean, third base right now, they're hoping it doesn't open up for another 10 years if they can get Arenado signed. And so you, you want to make sure you're good players, that, that you have positions that they can
1: play. I think a lot of times when there's a success, people quote the scouts at at the amateur level uh, and then say, oh, they did a great job identifying them, and then they were big leaguers. And and there's no question that plays a huge part of it. But uh, the player development apparatus in between is is absolutely crucial. And you know, and, and one of the things I've learned from this job is, there's been more careers I've seen waylaid by poor player development than I think uh, the public realizes Uh, more than just, oh, that guy just wasn't very good or he was a bust or whatever. A lot of times, just organizations uh, don't do the right things with kids. And I've been really impressed with the Rockies. As you know, we travel around, we're everywhere, and we we definitely see some organizations, you know, how hands-on they are and what the instruction they're giving is. And uh, just in my travels, I've been very impressed with the Rockies in general. Uh, Zach Wilson, the farm director, I've seen him in Asheville, I've seen him in Lancaster. I, you know, he's kind of everywhere, and you know, it sounds like that's run of the mill, but there's some farm directors you never really see. Um, you know, there there's always seems to be a really good you know, sense of, hey, you know, we're invested in these guys, we're invested in their success, and I, I think a lot of organizations pay lip service to that. Um, but just in my first-person experience, I, I've found the Rockies to be one of the, the best when it comes to actually you know, putting their, their actions and their money where their mouth is in that regard with player development.
0: Well, I think they are now. They went through a period when Bill Guy was here where they were changing pitchers their first day in extended spring training that they drafted. They were changing their entire mechanics. And they had a lot of high picks that were well thought of, that never came forward. That never came forward, and I think that was a lot about it. And you know, now with, uh, with with the new regime, they're at that mentality. It's sort of an old school mentality. It was the Hal Keller, Sandy Johnson thought process. You don't, you do not touch a player their first year in the minor leagues, no matter what, because they're successful. Or you wouldn't have drafted them. So the minute you start to change them before they have had any type of failure, it's easy to say that you're the reason they failed. Right, you understand what I'm saying, and so Keller's thing was: until a guy struggles, you don't you don't mess with him. He said, you know, there are guys that are unorthodox players. Ruben Sierra was a great hitter when he had a big high leg lift, but if you stop the video, his hands met the ball at the same place George Brett's hands met the ball. But when Ruben went to tr- to uh, Oakland, Tony Larusa became intent on taking his leg kick away from him. Okay, and, uh, and Keller, Al Keller, and I would talk about things. And he'd say, "Yeah, you know, people say you can't hit when you wrap a bat when you wrap the bat." And nobody was ever able to explain that to Julio Franco. At 39, he was still wrapping the bat. You can't do things and take natural things away from a guy until they have enough failure that they're going to embrace what you try to do. When I covered the Angels in the 70s, we had a Frank Tanana. It was maybe the best left-handed pitcher I've ever seen. And then Billy Muffet decided, well, he throws a little across his body. I'm going to change him. I'm going to get him where he's more direct like you're supposed to be. Well, Frankie was 27 years old. He'd thrown across his body his entire life. And all of a sudden now you're trying to change his muscle structure. No wonder he hurt his arm.
1: There's no question. The Rockies have definitely uh, corrected some of the issues that were plaguing them earlier. You can... See that in their successful pitcher development. I discussed that with Zach Wilson on a podcast late last year. But diving forward, we've seen the Rockies have a really large run of, of homegrown successes from you know, Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado. Uh, we mentioned all those pitchers and Kyle Freeland, Antonio Sensatella. We've started to see you know kind of a next wave come up. David Dahl struggled to stay healthy, but he's up. Ramel Tapia has come up. Ryan McMahon has come up. And there's another group. You look at the top of this Rockies list, it's a lot of guys in the upper minors. Brendan Rodgers, uh, Garrett Hampson made his major league debut last year. Peter Lambert was in AAA. He's on the cusp. When you were putting together this, this system, Brendan Rodgers is kind of the no questions asked number one. Uh, but you mentioned in your chat numbers two through five. We're all kind of in the same tier. Ultimately, how is that sorting out process, and, and how close are they really? It seems like there's almost no clear number two. All four of those guys have a case for being number two.
0: Yeah, No, I think you're right. And I, I just think, you know, obviously Levine is, is farther away because he, he just got drafted last year. Um, probably the guy that, that doesn't get, didn't get the attention he needed, uh, if I look back at it, is probably Tyler Nevin. Because he finally was healthy last year. And he had a good year. But I think more than that, when he went to the fall league, he won the batting title coming out of A ball. And you know, there's a lot of pitchers and position players that were much more experienced than him. And uh, I think that really got people excited. Is that, like, you know, this is a kid, as he settles in, you know, he'll probably wind up a corner in- infielder, but he could play on the corner in the outfield, too, which is what the Rockies like, again, because of-, of versatility. But, uh, you know, he's a – the Levine kid, it's, it's hard to overlook a high school kid. I know it was, was rookie ball, but it's hard to overlook a high school kid who can go in his first professional year and have the type of season he had where he, he established right away that he was a legitimate player. I mean, 350's 350 350. Uh, the home runs, the RBIs, again, more walks, 50-45 walks to 40 strikeouts. That's a pretty good ratio for a young kid, and and so you have those tools. Lambert, Lambert's just uh, you know he's he's not going to do anything that's just going to say wow. He's just going to make pitches. He's going to hit spots. He's going to get people out, and 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 I think you know for him that trip up to Albuquerque at the end of last year was really good because it, it gave him a chance to assess. Okay, what do I have to do now for my next step? To grow here, and that's one of the reasons they're in Albuquerque. You know, they're in Colorado Springs, and people say, "Well, you know, the altitude." Well, no, no, no. Colorado Springs, their their ballpark was about 1,200 feet higher than Coors Field. Albuquerque is the same altitude as Denver, and that was part of the thought process that that Jeff had when they made that move when he was a minor league director. Was, you know, this is going to give us a much better venue to evaluate what we think about these players coming to Denver to play and also to give them a much better feel for what Coors Field's going to be like instead of scaring them, you know. And uh, talking with Jeff night, we, we were laughing about the fact that Pete Vukovic pitched here in 75 for the, for the White Sox AAA team. I was, I was the UPI guy in Denver. And uh, it, it, we were, I was teasing him because he, he had a great year here got called up and he told Rowan Heeman he'd only go up if Rowan would let him come back so he could pitch in the playoffs for the Bears because he left Denver. He goes, yeah, it wasn't until the Rockies came that I found out I couldn't pitch there. You know, it's, 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 guys pitched here for years. Um, you know, uh, Burt Hooten was pretty famous for the knuckle curve, right? You know where he learned it? Pitching for the Boulder Collegians for, for Baldy Machete with, uh, you know, he learned the knuckle curve because that was the big pitch. That all the pitchers who have come out of Colorado since Goose Gossage, other than Danny Jackson, they all learned the knuckle curve from a guy named Bus Campbell. And so it, it was more trying to get rid of the hysteria than it, and, and get people to realize it. And now they have a staff that's comfortable with it. And they have a bullpen coach that says, Look, I pitched for five years before the humidor with a curveball. And, and Kyle Freeland's like, Well, this is where I grew up. I mean, he was, he was born five minutes five miles from uh, Mile High Stadium less than three weeks after the Rockies played their first game ever. And so he, he's like, this is where I pitched my whole life until I went to Evansville. It's not like I'm in like strange territory. And he sets the pace for everybody else. Because, you know what, he goes, I have the 240 ER at Coors Field. You're going to tell him you can't pitch there? There's
1: and, definitely been a lot of a lot of progress, made. You mentioned mostly, you know, talking to Zach Wilson a lot, but it was finding the right makeup. And, and I want to hit on Lambert a little bit here because – you that's one of the things that stands out about him. You have him as the top-rated pitcher in this farm system, and it was pretty clear that's the case. You know, it's not just Albuquerque. They start him in Grand Junction, they move to Asheville, then they move to Lancaster. Now all very, very big hitters' parks, and so these pitchers get thrown right in off the deep end. And one of the things that was impressive about Lambert, uh, when I saw him in Lancaster two years ago, uh, this is a guy, nothing phases him. He was a big-time pitcher in Southern California, pitching against some of the best of the best there. And, and just pitching in Lancaster as a 20-year-old, you see a lot of guys who do get frustrated, who do, they they give up what should be a lazy fly ball, and it's a three-run homer, and all of a sudden their ERA is inflated, and they can't quite get over it. And Peter Lambert was one of the most impressive guys I saw, just ice in his veins, and it was really, really impressive. He went up to Double-A Hartford, and a lot of managers up there actually thought he was the best pitching prospect in that league with the best tools ballot. And we look on paper and we see the Albuquerque numbers last year were not great. But as I was making calls around for the Pacific Coast League top 20 prospects, more than a few managers said, hey, that kid's got a good arm. He knows how to execute all his pitches. Nothing phases him. There was a real serious consideration for him. You know, Even though it was not a great season on paper, Uh, to be a a really, really, you know, solid pitcher at the big league level. There's a lot to like there, and I think a lot of it, you know, again, I just go back to that that discussion I had with Zach Wilson. So much about what the Rockies are doing with their scouting is that makeup, getting over the quote-unquote hysteria, as you called it, and Peter Lambert is is a guy that's kind of wired that way and one of the reasons why I think a lot of people expect him to to have success, even those who don't see a, a huge, huge ceiling there. They think we'll execute enough, stay poised enough, uh, to end up being successful, you know, probably as a number four or five starter in the Rockies' rotation. But as you know, you don't win ball games without a, a solid number four or five.
0: Yeah, and and I think he gets pushed back to, to that type of a category more because he's not an overpowering guy. He's more of a pitcher. We've become a society now that that gets so caught up in numbers that we we sometimes get away from the human element that's involved. And, and the competitiveness that's within an individual. And and I just think, you know, that's why I say, I, I think probably the best thing that could have ever happened to Lambert was to go to Albuquerque and not put up the big numbers that he's used to putting up. Because now, it, as a competitor, as a guy that knows he's good, in his mind, he knows he's good enough to, to get those guys out. Now it gives him something over the offseason that, go back, look at, okay, what can I do differently? How do, it, how do I approach this the next time? And, I mean, I think it, it was really an important step step in his career. You know, Hal Keller, um, the late Hal Keller, one of my favorite people ever in scouting, he used to always say that I can never tell you if a player's any good until I see him fail.
1: Moving beyond uh, Lambert, again, Brendan Rodgers, clear-cut number one prospect in the system, a guy that, can play second, can play short, can play third. Is going to project a hit everywhere, wherever the Rockies need him. Hope perform. Uh, Garrett Hampson's an interesting guy. He came in at number two in this system uh, on the final cut, and I saw him at Lancaster, not knowing a lot about him. And I'm watching him, and this guy is twitchy. He's athletic as heck. He can fly. I saw him hit every velocity, every c- kind of breaking pitch, and then you know he's kind of gets put in this bucket of. Uh, you know small overachiever when you look at his frame, but you look at him He's not and I've been trying to pound the table on this for years. This guy's an incredible athlete uh, He's a 70 grade runner and if you go on the MLB sprint speeds, you'll see he's actually one of the fastest players in the majors last year uh, The hand-eye coordination the reflexes. He's actually an elite athlete just in a smaller package uh, We saw a little bit of that last year uh, as of right now He's in position to uh, play a lot of second base for the Rockies this coming season. Uh, Him and Ryan McMahon are going to bounce around and share that role a little bit, but I think there's an overwhelming sense that Garrett Hampson is going to you know, not just be in the big leagues but do a lot of things to help your team win and your discussions with with people within the system. uh, What was the overall sense on on his role? Because I still find some opposing scouts who are hesitant to make him anything more than a utility guy, but the more he keeps playing, the more it's like, no, this guy can play an everyday second base in the major leagues.
0: Yeah, well, nobody thought Lemay who could play at second base because he was too tall, right? I know his, <laughs> Lemay who became he became the tallest everyday second baseman in major league history to to play over a hundred games in a season. Uh, but he had a, he had an instinct for the game and athleticism, and I think Hampson It's a different type of a situation. He's he's not maybe as big as some people want him to be, but he does have a great feel for the game. He does understand. He understands what his tools play well to. You know, he's not trying to hit home runs. He wants to get extra base hits. He wants to steal bases. He realizes those are the those are the positives that he can bring to the table. Um, you know, he might he might not ever be that big time everyday guy, but with his athletic ability, his speed and his skills, the fact he can play center field, he can play shortstop, he can play, play second base, and I think second base probably is his best position, he's going to play a lot of games every year. He's going to play 120, 130 games every year, which nowadays is, is a full season, right? I mean, it's guys don't play 162 games anymore because um, that's not allowed. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I, I think he's going to be an everyday player. He just may not have an everyday position.
1: He's definitely going to be an interesting guy to watch moving forward. Uh, again, he made his major league debut last year. Rodgers is in line to make his this year. Uh, the guy that kind of came you know, beyond them uh, along with Lambert was Colton Welker. Welker's an interesting guy. He would have won the South Atlantic League batting title uh, had he stayed healthy and had enough games to qualify for in his first full season. Went out and won the California League batting title last year. Uh, Really interesting hand-eye coordination. The swing, it's a little funky. It's a little bit of a flat path that doesn't really get the ball in the air, Uh, so there is some question about the power, but uh, he showed hands for third base. You see guys making a lot of contact, and the track record keeps building and building. I I know more than a few scouts want to wait until he gets to Hartford, which is more of a a hitting neutral environment before they fully buy in, Uh, but to, to date right now, there's nothing you can really bang him on. You know, I know in, in some of your conversations, Welker could have been as high as number two in this system. He, he ultimately finished uh, number four, but uh, there's some who felt he was the second best prospect in the system behind only Rodgers. Uh, just kind of what's your assessment of, of Colton Welker and, and your discussions with people inside and outside the organization?
0: I think I think you'd have to look at the overall abilities of the guy and his approach in and his ability to make contact, his ability to drive the ball in gaps, and, and realize, you know, there's a couple of things that that happen. Is one, as you get older, you get stronger, you get more experience. If you study, you start to understand tendencies more. I think that, you know, what you want to do when when you look at a young player is you want to look at the at their skill base, and not necessarily get carried away with the the overall numbers that are involved but more with with their aptitude, um, their physical abilities, and, and what you can see, even in batting practice, to see the type of power they have.
1: That's well, all very fair, and, and that's, you know, again, some of the reasons to be bullish on, on Welker as he continues to grow. Uh, you know, we've talked about Grant Levine a little bit. It feels like that top five were, were pretty set in stone. Uh, you, know, you hit on Tyler Nevin even with his fall league, a uh, pretty safe number six. The 7 to 10 range is where I think there's probably a little bit of a drop off. Again, the top six are the top six. Um, When you were kind of assessing the, the next group, I guess I would ask, you know, how many guys were really in contention to be top 10 prospects? Were there 11 guys? Were there 12 guys? Like, how many guys were surefire top 10 prospects, and how many other guys were kind of in contention for the back half of that?
0: I would say there were probably. At least um, at least eight guys, minimum, if not ten, that that you kind of I kind of filtered around with, trying to figure out just exactly where they would really fit in, in the overall picture. Um, and it was all, I think they all were guys that you could make strong cases for, and, and then you just have to kind of slowly work your way work your way through looking at things. I mean, like. Like one guy that I think a lot of people overlook because he didn't have a big year last year was uh, was Hilliard.
1: Yep, personal favorite of mine. I've seen him tears in so, a row now, and
0: you know the, the his, dude can play. Luke Gehrig's disease last year, and and he had a he had a major distraction in in his life because his dad was a very big part of his life, and um, and this is a kid that was a pitcher until he be, went to. His junior until his junior year at Wichita State, when he was such a bad pitcher, they let him hit. Um, but you know, it it was um, it was a, a year that that wasn't quite what he wanted it to be. But they really felt like he he was very close with his parents, and and the thing with his dad really hit him hard. And you know, I think we saw him come back in the fall league, and and he had a good, a very solid fall league. I mean, all hitters had had good fall leagues, really, but. You know, he was very comfortable in that environment, and he's uh, he's got a, per- a great personality. He's He's, uh, he's got a good student of the game, and I just, I think you'll, um, I think you, people will be surprised. I think you'll see him bounce back big from last year when he was more ordinary in terms of numbers, but for the people that were around him, he was far from that. It's, you know, it's another great scouting story, because as Brett Baldwin said, you know, if I hadn't been a first-year scout, I probably wouldn't have been that high on him, but I didn't know better because... All the other scouts said, Oh, he really he's he, you know, he was a pitching prospect and they were all they were all got off him real quick because he had such a horrible, you know, year pitching at Wichita State and he goes, I kept watching the guy hit. I never, I didn't realize I was supposed to be watching a pitcher.
1: <laughs> yep. No, you're right. That is a great scouting story. And he is a good player. You know, I, I tweeted this out that there's a lot of other systems that have bigger names in the Rockies, but when I watched the Rockies guys they can all play, sometimes a lot better than a lot of these other big-name guys, and I think, again, that goes back to the player development. There is one, one person on this list who uh, just has not been able to get off the ground, had a shoulder injury followed by an oblique injury last year, and has yet to really experience much success on the mound at any level, and that's Riley Pint. Remains a top-10 prospect. Obviously, the Rockies internally are still saying all the right things externally. It, it just you know has not been good when he has pitched. But bigger guy, still young, there's still some explosive stuff in there. How would you kind of assess where where Riley Pint is right now?
0: Well, I think the big thing with with Riley has been his approach and his attitude when he's gone to work. There has, and I think that's what makes the Rockies feel so confident about it because they're around him, and they see, they see the drive that he has to be successful, and you know he's got to throw more strikes, right? I mean, we, that, that's not a secret to anybody. And he's got the power arm, and he's got the de, he's got the the desire, and the aptitude has been has been slowed. You don't know about because it's been slowed by the by the injury problems. And I think, you know, this is a huge year for him to finally make a statement. I mean, they they really have two pitchers in the organization. That, that are really very similar in that regard. Um, and Mike Nickorek is the other one. That They they have a, a lot of belief in the abilities of those two kids, and they've had a lot of problems physically um, of being able to get out on the mound on a regular basis. And, and I think both of them this year need to uh, need to be more consistent on the mound to begin with and then in the pitching, obviously. But... You know, the, the hope, particularly with, with Riley, is that you know once he gets on the mound on a consistent basis and it starts to put together the, the different things that the Bob Appadakas and, and those people have worked with him on, that uh, that he has a chance to come quickly once things get into place. But it it's been a little frustr- <laughs> a little frustrating, waiting and watching for him to be healthy enough to go out and to be able to do it guy, if you talk to people in their system, they, they feel he's got the best fastball and the best curveball in the organization, and possibly the best changeup. <laughs> so it's, it's not like the the physical skills aren't there, it's just been the health issue. And, and Nick Rex is in pretty much the same, a very similar type situation.
1: And this will be Riley Pines' fourth professional season, and seeing if he can make some progress and start moving up the ladder, staying on the mound, I think will be kind of one of the subplots of the Rockies minor league season if you will Tracy before we let you go here just to wrap up overall when you assess this Rockies system what's your overall all take on it both from the talent level and and when this group will be ready to impact the major league club which at the end of the day is all that matters
0: yeah I think there's a group of position players that are at that point right now and coming along and they're getting attention because the pitchers have made the move. The Marquesas and the Freelands and the Obergs, you know, the, the, those guys have, have made that move to the big league level now and people are saying, well, they don't have the pitching depth. Well, they do. They've got a really young rotation.
1: Right. They're all they're all in the big leagues. The lack of uh, pitching depth in the minor leagues, it's for the right reasons. It's because they graduated five or six homegrown guys.
0: And they were impact. And they've been impact guys. You know, they're not guys that, you know, Marquesa and uh, well, Marquez came over from...
1: From Tampa Bay. But they acquired him when he had not pitched above A ball. And in a lot of ways, he is a, a guy they consider to be one of their own.
0: And since Attila and, you know, Gray, everyone's disappointed. He was 14-6 and six last year. He, You know, I think he was more disappointed, too. I mean, he wasn't the number one or two guy, but they had enough strong pitching. He didn't have to be. He was the number three guy. and And he's got to get to, you know, to be more consistent. But... You know, I, I think they feel good because now they feel the next way they're going to get will be a reinforcement in the position players, and then, you know, then see what happens after that with the pitching that comes along. I mean, there's there's arms in the system, and, and they just got to see how they're going to develop. If you know, Pint is a type of guy. As silly as it may sound, once he once he gets if he gets command, he could be up in the big leagues in no time. Right? I mean. he's he's got the makings of, of the stuff to be a dominant type guy and, and if, as the strikes come if he's healthy and he goes out and he pitches and he stays in a routine he's not a guy that's going to take a long time to get there because because he can just simply overpower people I mean, when, you, when you sit from 98 to 101 as a starting pitcher, that's pretty good
1: <laughs> I'd say so there's no question, uh, again, the pitching's up we've seen some position players come up there's more on the way and I definitely think you can look at the Rockies right now and, and obviously there is present success with uh, back-to-back postseason appearances and it's not hard to see that success being sustainable in the NL West over the next few years. Tracy, thank you again for coming on the podcast with us and as always for all your hard work at Baseball America. We uh, we appreciate everything you do.
0: You got it. And I appreciate everything you guys do. It's, it's, uh, it's fun to watch the continued growth of the magazine.
1: Absolutely. Well, everybody, that'll wrap up another Baseball America Prospects podcast for Hall of Famer Tracy Ringlesby. I'm Kyle Glazer. Thank you for listening.